0: All right, good morning. If you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 20, that's where we'll be this morning. Kind of a long chapter, um, but we'll get through it. Where else are you going to go, right? So glad so many are joining online with us, and even some folks that uh, don't normally attend, and so welcome. We're glad you're here with us. We wish you were here in person, but for now, this is how it has to be, and it's a good thing. It's okay. I was praying about it this morning about... Some of the implications of so many churches going online, Um, having to gear up for it and get ready for it. We ourselves had to buy a new camera and kind of had to tweak some things on our sound and and video to make sure that we could do this properly. The next thing is to get a better internet connection so that we don't have that glitch that happens and may happen periodically throughout today's teaching. Um, It'll pause and I'll freeze in a funny face or something and you guys can all laugh at me until it picks up. But with so many churches gearing up and getting ready, most of them will stay online every Sunday. When everybody can come back physically, most will stay there and continue to broadcast over Facebook. Thousands of churches will put out God's word over the Internet using this medium that's been available for years now. But maybe churches were reluctant to step up and to do that. And boy, here we are now. So there's a benefit. There's a beautiful thing here. God's word is being broadcast more now than ever before in human history. So um, we are definitely without excuse. God's word is being shared all over the world. In 1 Kings chapter 20, hopefully you're there. King ben the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. 32 kings were with him with horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Benadad, your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. See, Ahab last week and Jezebel had that confrontation with the prophet Elijah. Um, didn't go well for them. And God told them that they'd been replaced. In fact, that was one of Elijah's missions last week was to go ahead and anoint the next king of Israel, which was going to be Ahab's replacement. But until that happens, um, Ahab still kind of has to rule and reign. And he doesn't know the true and living God. He's been worshiping other gods, little G's. He's been creating them, making them. And that really is the thrust of the text this morning. It's about the gods that we can make not accepting all that God is, who he is, how he reveals himself through his word, but beginning to mold him and make him into someone that's more palatable for me. And that's a danger. We would never consider ourselves idolaters, maybe, uh, someone who crafts gods out of gold and bows down to things made of wood or stone. And yet, in some ways, we can take God's word Use it like a smorgasbord and begin to cut away and pull away the things we don't like and leave the things that are appealing to us. And in a sense, we're basically carving out our own God. God has given us his word to reveal himself to us, to show us who he is, what he likes, what he doesn't like, and we're to receive all of that. It's like getting to know someone on a first date. You got to know everything about them. You got to learn about them and discover them. And the more you spend time with them and that relationship builds, your love for them deepens. And that's what God wants to do with us. So this Benadad, king of Syria, which you'll, if you're here on Wednesday nights or you're listening on, on Wednesday nights or watching on Wednesday nights now, uh, we've been going over Genesis and uh, we have to understand there is a relationship, a family relationship between Israel and Syria. Um, Syria is Uh, Very much a part of that. I mean, that'll show up today in the the chapter. They're very much cousins, basically. Anyway, this king of Syria wants to go ahead and finds them weakened by this three-year drought and wants to cause Israel to um, be taken over. So they threaten them. All your wives are mine. All your gold is mine. All your silver is mine. And all your children are mine. Here's the king of Israel's response. He says this, Ahab, my lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. Then the messengers came back and said, thus speaks Benadad, saying, indeed, I have sent to you, saying, you shall deliver to me your silver and your gold and your wives and your children, but I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they will they shall search your house and the houses of your servants, and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eye they will put in their hands and take it that's always the way it is with the tyrant a bully anybody you give them an inch they're going to take a mile and that's what's happened here king ahab is pretty selfish shows jezebel and this may have been ahab's way of getting rid of jezebel who knows his relationship with her but as soon as his syrian says i'm going to take your best wives he was like well that's okay with me he just wants to live i just want to survive this Well, that was where he thought the negotiations had ended. But of course, when you give that inch, here comes the second demand. And by the way, we're going to go search your houses and we're going to take everything you have. Everything that's of yours, we're going to keep. Well, that's a lot more than they bargained for. So he doesn't know what to do. And he does now what he should have done in the beginning. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, and my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, do not listen or consent. So he gets some advice. He says, why are you negotiating with this guy? He's crazy. He's a tyrant. He's going to take everything you have. He should have done that to begin with, but he's not a follower of the Lord, so he doesn't know. And all the elders told him, don't consent. Therefore, he said to the messenger of Benadad, tell my lord, the king, all that you sent for to your servant for the first time, I will do. But this thing I cannot do. I'm going to have to draw the line there. No, well, you don't tell a tyrant. No, you're picking a fight, basically. And that's what's going to happen here. So the messengers departed and brought back word to the king of Syria there. And so Benadad, the king of Syria, sent to him and said that gods do so to me and more also if even enough dust is left of Samaria for the a handful for each of the people who follow me. Kind of a strange way to put it, but he's basically saying the exact same thing that um, Ahab and Jezebel said to Elijah. That's what Jezebel said. As soon as Elijah had decapitated and taken all the prophets, all 450 and plus, all the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and put them to death in the valley after that victory on Mount Carmel, this is exactly what she said to him. May the Lord do so, or may the gods do so to me or more also. So we've got two kings here, Ahab, who said, may the gods, uh, and then also Benadad, who said, may the gods. Neither of these guys know the Lord. This is a perfect opportunity for God to step in and make himself known. You guys have been worshiping these little G's. You've been creating them. You've been making them into images that were pleasing to you, something that you liked. Let me step in and show you who is the true creator. What's really happening here. Who's really in charge? Who is the God of the mountains? Who's the God of the valleys? Who's the God of everything? See, they would develop little gods that would be in charge of this and maybe another little God over here that'd be in charge of that. And God says, no, I'm in charge of all of it. We need to know that. What a great time to be taught that. This is our next chapter in our series, not knowing that we were going to go live, not knowing about COVID-19, not knowing that any of these things would be applicable. I didn't have to make a, a, a topical message. We just took the very next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 20, and it applies. God's word always applies to us. I don't have to go find it. I don't have to do a topical search. I don't have to do a word search. I can just go right through Scripture in my own quiet time or through Bible studies with other people, and it will apply to us that week. I like it when the Holy Spirit takes his sword and just uses it in my life, and that's what he's doing this morning. These little gods are going to be shown who's boss. The living God's going to step in and say, I'm the God of all this stuff. I don't don't have competition. God's not concerned with the things that we're concerned with. On our website, I posted, um, or actually on our Facebook page, I posted about Johnny Erickson Tata. She gave a wonderful little message there. And I encourage you to watch that. It's a little YouTube video she did for encouraging those that are especially vulnerable during this time. And it it just shows, no, God is in charge. And, And I know we say that all the time, and it's almost... A plaque that we can put up in our house and kind of forget what it means, but he truly is. He, he knows when this is going to end. He knows how many people will be infected, how many people won't, who's going to perish from this and who won't perish from this. None of this escapes his knowledge. And just knowing that is encouraging. See, Jesus said several times to his disciples, told them through prophecy, this is what's going to happen to me in the next few days. And then he would follow up and say, now I told you that so that when it does happen, you knew that I knew. Jesus knew that was encouraging, that none of this is a surprise to him. God's not on the throne tapping his fingers or having his hands on his head saying, what am I going to do? He's got this and we're his people. So Benadad threatens Israel. I'm going to come get you because you wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. So the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. So now they're having a threatening contest here. I'm going to make sure there's not enough dust left in Israel. Oh yeah? Well, you shouldn't boast because you may not even take your armor off. In other words, you won't be alive to take your armor off at the end of this battle. And it happened when Benedad heard this message as he and the kings were drinking at the command post that he said to his servants, get ready. You can picture that in your mind, can't you? Like this was a movie. They're all sitting there drinking their swill, living in the flesh, you know, getting wasted, getting drunk. And this guy comes back and says, you're not going to even be able to take your armor off at this. And these guys in their drunken stupor said, come on, everybody, let's go get this guy. Now, when he talks about 32 kings, it's not like actual nations. These are like guys in charge of cities or territories, tribal leaders, things like that. So it's not a huge thing, but it is bigger than Israel. This group of guys is a larger group than Israel. So the battle is going to be lopsided, which is how God loves it. Verse 13, suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Just another prophet. Remember when Elijah thought that he was all by himself and God said there are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee? This is one of those guys, one of the other prophets out there. We like the big guys. We know the the big names, Elijah, Elisha, Micah, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah. You know, we know all these big name prophets. But there's a bunch of little guys out there, too, that nobody knows their name. In fact, it's not even documented. It just says another prophet came. And that's okay to be known like that. Just another prophet. All of us are, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you're, you're a king and a priest. Uh, Revelation tells us that. You're, you're to share God's word. You're to uh, be a minister serving those around you. It's a good thing. And maybe you will never have a name. Maybe you'll never have a YouTube channel. Or maybe you'll never do this, that, or the other thing. or have thousands of people. But you're still a prophet of God. Now, I don't know why he doesn't use Elijah here. That was my question. I'm studying and saying, well, Elijah's kind of the man of the day. Or even Elisha, this would be a good practice run for him since he's been anointed to be Elijah's replacement and is kind of following Elijah around right now. Why didn't God use one of these big guys? Because he doesn't have to. Even the big guys or the little guys are still just representatives of God's word. Can only say what God says. They're not allowed to interpret. They're not allowed to uh, ad lib when it comes to this stuff. So it doesn't matter who God sends. It's that he sent somebody. Be willing to be sent by God, especially during this time. A lot of people are going to have a lot of questions, a lot of fear. A lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, and as the Christian in the group, or as the Christian nearby, six feet away, you can say, I know a God, and he's a true and living God, and he's big, and you can testify of all that he's done for you, and that'll bring them peace. So this prophet comes up and says, don't worry, God has this and says just what God told him to say. And it's interesting at the end, he's saying to Ahab, and you shall know that I'm the Lord. After Mount Carmel, if you were with us last week, not uh, two weeks ago actually, but just recently, at Mount Carmel when all 450 prophets of Baal were doing their thing and cutting their arms and wrists and trying to get Baal to do what he was supposed to do by uh, igniting the sacrifice with fire, all Elijah does is steps up and quietly does it, and the fire comes down, consumes the sacrifice, proving all these guys to be false, no power at all, all fake. And then he slaughters them all. You would think at that time Ahab would have figured out that who the true and living God was, that he would know that God is God. That's just it. With all of that evidence, with an eyewitness account of what just took place on Mount Carmel Ahab and Jezebel are still in rebellion against God. Please hear me on this this morning, Christian. When you share God's word with people and they reject it, it's not that you didn't do it right. It's not that you didn't have enough evidence or your apologetics weren't up to speed. You weren't able to prove God's existence or couldn't answer that next question. Guys, the questions will never end from the person that does not want to be ruled by a king. I will not have this man rule over us they would say over and over again. I love my sin. They love their sin too much to let Jesus rule and reign. If your God exists, if everything you say is true, that means I have to listen to him. I have to submit my life to him and I don't want that. So I'm going to avoid church. I'm going to avoid godly people. I'm going to avoid the Bible. And if I can just avoid all that stuff, then I can live the way I want to live. Ahab has no excuse. If anybody in the world should ever know that there is a true and living God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, it's Ahab. And yet here he stands in unbelief still because he loves his sin, because he loves his power, because he loves his life, the lifestyle that he's living. So Ahab said, verse 14, by whom? He's looking around at his guys. He's saying, so God's going to give us victory. How? Is someone else coming? Is there another... uh, cavalry coming in you know and that can be our question sometimes how is god ever going to get this put together how is ever how we ever going to have this victory someone must be coming and we scan the horizon when all god wants to do is he's going to show here is use the people around us that's one of the things that's beautiful it, in ministry that I had to learn, I, I would pray for guys to come in. Oh God, bring us a guy that knows how to do this. And oh Lord, bring us a guy or gal that knows how to do this. And I pray and pray and oh Lord, you know, bring somebody in. God is using all the people around us right now, taught them how to do the things that were needed for this ministry, Raised them up to maturity spiritually to do the things in this ministry. You should have seen these guys this week, finding cameras, buying them online, Shipping wasn't going to be there, so they had drove down to go pick up the camera so they could be back here in time, working for hours and hours and hours on this one live feed right now, just to make it possible for all of us to see this. This is kind of a new thing, and yet God used the people right here in our fellowship to do this wonderful work, and it'll improve, I hope. I mean, none of it's their fault. There might be some technical issues, things that don't work right like they're supposed to, but... We'll move along and through this, but God's going to use the people right here. God will use the people around us. God wants to use you. So when Ahab asked, by whom? And he said, thus says the Lord, by the young leaders of the provinces, by the very people that are around you. Then he said, who will set the battle in order? Who's going to be in charge? <laughs> and he answered, you, you're the king. Yeah. Oh, all right. He felt unqualified. For some reason well we have he has good reason but he kind of it's almost a, an admission well I know that God's going to win the battle for us and well I really don't worship God so he must be going to use somebody else who are you going to set to be general now I'm going to use you It should have been a really wonderful moment for Ahab you're going to use me but I've denied you but I've built gods against you altars against you I've I've I've, I've crafted golden wooden Uh, silver, uh, stone idols. I've caused your entire nation to worship somebody other than you. And you want to use me still? I'm so disqualified. That's the best place from which to lead in that heart and that understanding that of course you're disqualified. God is the qualifier. God is the one that makes us able to minister on his behalf. It's by his Holy Spirit It's by his choice that he calls us and brings us into the ministry. He's the one that counts us faithful and puts us there. All of us, any of us at any given moment. I don't know the Bible well enough to share it. I don't think I can do that. I'm afraid to pray out loud. You're perfect for the job then. It's exactly what God's looking for. Someone who's not going to take the glory from him and put it upon themselves and give him all the glory. This is a great moment for Ahab. He doesn't recognize it, unfortunately, but I hope we do this morning. Then he mustered the young leaders of the provinces, and there were 232. Oh, That's not very many. And after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. Not a lot. So they went out at noon. So, I mean... It's high noon, and they're going to step out. Remember the banter they had back and forth? Oh, yeah, you're not taking your armor off. Oh, yeah, well, may the gods do so to me. So there's been a lot of barroom talk there. And so they're stepping out into the dusty center of town with their six shooters on their side at high noon. Meanwhile, Benadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. These guys are still, well, not the brightest guys in the world here. The young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Bernadette sent out a patrol. And they told him, saying, men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, if they come out for peace, take them alive. If they come out for war, take them alive. Now, we don't know if that's a drunken stupor of an order. If they come out, bring them back to me alive. You know, If they don't come out for peace, bring them back to me alive. You can almost see that. Or he just wants to torture them. The Syrians were known for torture. So they said, whatever you do, don't kill any of them. Confusing order, but that's what he gives and that's who he is. So these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with an army which followed them. And each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled and Israel pursued them. And Benadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and the chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. And so God's word comes to pass. They have a wonderful victory, 7,000 over who knows how many. So many guys. Verse 22 is important. Then the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you battle's not over. I mean, the battle is, we had victory, but the war's not over. There's going to be another battle in the spring. Take note. Figure out what's going to happen. Get your guys ready. Stay sober. Maybe repent a little bit. Maybe learn who this true and living God is that just defended you and took care of you. Be prepared because there's another battle coming. That's... A lot of people's folly and foolishness. They get into trouble during this pandemic that we're in right now. A lot of people that will, would never have called on the name of the Lord are calling on the name of the Lord right now. Oh God, just whatever you do, save me from COVID 19 and I'll serve you the rest of my life and I'll, I'll tell everybody about you. And then COVID 19 is going to come to an end. These things come to pass. It's going to be over. Will they remember? Will they understand that although this battle's been won, and they did survive, and God did do what he said he would do, do they understand there's another battle coming? Or will they forget the God, the true and living God, that saved them and kept them? Will they go on with their lives as they used to? Will they start really zealous for a couple weeks after COVID, and then kind of slip back into their old lifestyles instead of making him their absolute passion of their life, the love of their life? the master passion, the, the king of their everything that they are. Unfortunately, a lot of people will do that. This is a message to those who might think that. This battle is going to be won, and we're going to get through this, but there are going to be more battles. There's going to be sicknesses that come upon us. There's going to be cancers. There's going to be loss of life around us, relatives, loved ones dying. There's going to be... <laughs> talk about conflict at work, uh, conflict at school. I mean, so many things are going to happen. Difficult times are going to keep coming. This isn't a time to call on God and forget him. It's a time to change our lives, to surrender our lives over to him, to trust in the true and living God. Not because we're in a fearful place right now, but because I want God in charge. I want to be able to call on him anytime. I want to be able to be with him all the time. When I die, I want to go to heaven and spend forever in his kingdom. Hopefully many people will do that. The prophet, just a prophet, tells the king, go strengthen yourself, this isn't over. Verse 23, then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, their gods are the gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost. Horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. The idea here is... As we've alluded to already, they had a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. Their theology didn't allow for God to be the God of everything. Um, It didn't make room for the fact that he can be both sovereign and have free will at the same time. Their their theology didn't allow that, and their theology is going to get them in trouble here. They think that if they fight on a different geographic location, that they're going to have the upper hand. We have to be careful of that. Our God is the God of everything. When he looks down on us, he sees all of creation. He sees all of time. He understands every choice we'll ever make. And he knows that ahead of time. That's encouraging to us. They need to learn this. They need to understand this. Just by changing up the geographic location of the fight is not going to change who wins the battle. And they need to learn this. God knows their heart. God knew that they were going to have this feeling. So he says, we're going to have another battle here, but it's going to be in the plains this time because they thought that I was just the God and that's how it is. See, even the unbeliever, when they're looking at this God and they see his power and they recognize the fact that he exists, they still put limitations on him. They put him in a place. They put him, he's He's the God of the mountains. He's not the God of the valley. That's a different thing over there. No, no, He he's... He's the God of the world. He's the God of the universe. And he's trying to make himself known to them, and they need to see that. Sometimes, as Christians, we have parts of our lives that God can rule and reign, and parts of our lives that he can't. Parts that we haven't given over control yet. These are things he does. These are areas he He has my Sunday mornings. He has my Wednesday evenings, maybe even. He has this portion of my finances, but not this portion of my finances. He's got Sundays and Wednesdays, but not Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Those are things when I'm in charge, but on those other days, he is. He needs to have all of it. He wants to have all of it. It's such a blessing when he, we finally do surrender everything. Verse 26, so it was in the spring of the year that Benadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel, they were mustered and given provisions And they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats while the Syrians filled the countryside, very lopsided. Then a man of God, just a man of God, came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not the God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. Again, trying to show both sides who God is. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. So it was that on the seventh day, the battle was joined, and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day, but the rest fled to Aphek, into the city, when a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. That's a big wall. More than likely, it means all the walls of the city fell down and collapsed upon everybody in it. And Benedad fled and went into the city, into an inner chamber. So he still escaped, this Benedad guy did. He's he's the king, and he's gotten out of this. God's trying to prove himself strong. We're going to see here at this break, verse 31, we're going to see a change um, in my heart and in your heart. Something we have to watch for, something If you're an older saint, a believer who's been walking with the Lord for a long time, this is where God mixes things up a little bit and encourages us and causes us to rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit in every situation. I cannot go off of past examples of what God has done in my life and apply them generically to my current situation. I need to pray these things through. I need to find out what he wants to do next. That's my job is to just be a servant and not assume I know where God is headed. Not to be presumptuous with the Lord. Sometimes we can we can do that. I, I just I just pray that this won't happen and so it won't. That's not how it works. God's not our genie in the bottle. We don't get to rub him and give our three wishes and ask him to do or tell him to do what we want him to do. We discover what he wants. We ask him what his next step is. What are his plans? What do you want me to do? What's my participation level, if any? That's something we have to ask, Lord. And be willing to accept no, or we're not going to do it like before. We're going to do it this way. We're going to see that switch here in verse 31. Then his servants said to him, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please, let us put sackcloth around our waists and ropes around our heads, And go out to the king of Israel, and perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore sackcloth around their waist and put ropes around their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant, Benadad, says, Please let me live. And he said, this is Ahab, Is he still alive? He is my brother. And there's the mercy they've been hoping for. Now this is a great time to talk about the mercy that God gives us. We're supposed to give it to other people. Except that'd be very wrong in this situation. This is not what God wants. God doesn't want to be merciful to this Syrian king. And he's going to say as much in this chapter. But Ahab, without finding out what God wants to do with this unbelieving king, decides to do what he wants to do. He's going off past experience and applying it to a curtain situation. He's not talked to the Lord about it. We need to be in constant communication with God. To be led by the Spirit to find out what he wants us to do each and every day. And he makes a terrible mistake here. Now, what does he mean, you're my brother? Well, that's what I was alluding to in the very beginning before we started this chapter. We've been studying on Wednesday nights, Jacob and Laban. Laban is a Syrian. So there's the connection. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. Now, we're generations later, but they're still related families. Laban's family in Syria, all the Syrians. And then we've also got Jacob's family over here, they're intermarried. Rachel was a Syrian and so on. These things are all together. You you get the picture here. So when he says, you're my brother, he means that we're, we're related, distant, but still. Now, the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at his word and said, your brother, Benedict, ah, there it is. They're trying to look into his eyes as they've got the rope around their neck and they've got the uh, sackcloth around their waist. That's just show humility, surrender, you know, servitude, you know, ser- being a servant. Um, we're yours. We're, we're not fighting you. And so they've been waiting for his response. How is he going to, is there any mercy in that? Oh, he said, brother. Great. So he said, go bring him. Then Benedad came out to meet him and he had him come up into the chariot. You're an equal brother. Come on, get up here. You're a king like I am. So Ben-Hadad Ben-ah-head, said to him, The cities which my father took from your father, I'll restore. And you may set up marketplaces for yourself. In Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. A treaty should ring a bell to us. Remember when Joshua was going through the land, God had taken them into the promised land with Joshua. Crossed the Jordan River, a miraculous thing, knocked down Jericho. And they were going through to conquer and remove and evict all the people out of this land because God had given it to them. And those guys had tricked him, saying they were from a faraway land, so that he would make a treaty with them. And he did, without inquiring of the Lord first. And it was a terrible mistake on their part, on Joshua's part. This is the same situation. It looks financially beneficial. It looks like we're having peace with the Syrians, and they're going to come in handy later on when we fight bigger groups. So we've got this allegiance going on here, which, by the way, falls apart in chapter 22 of this book. But for now, he's thinking he's making a good uh, political move. He's making a good economic move. We're going to be able to set up marketplaces in Damascus. I mean, that is the hub. That's where you want to be. That's where you want to put your storefront, you know, right there in Damascus. So this is going to be great. It's not going to be great. Verse 35. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets, so he's a prophet also, said to his neighbor, and this is where the New King James doesn't quite get the translation right. You might want to check some other translations, but he's another prophet. When it says he's his neighbor, it means he's his companion, So he's in this school of prophets. So this is prophet to prophet speaking. And he says to his other prophet buddy, by the word of the Lord, strike me, please. Because this prophet should know, hey, thus says the Lord, God wants you to hit me in the face. Uh, That's a weird request, I I granted, but that's what God told me to tell you to do. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. That's kind of a weird story in the middle of all this. Hard to explain. Except a few things. This man of God should have known to obey the word of the Lord. It's very simple. We have the word of God and we can read it anytime we want. We live in a beautiful country. In this country, I, don't, I have religious freedom. I can read my Bible anytime. I can own as many Bibles as I want. We can assemble. And by the way, we could have assembled this morning, technically, but we didn't want to do that. We wanted out of love to be a part of what the community is going through, and so that's why we do what we do. And there's other reasons and scriptures that God has shown us, but we should know what God's Word says. We live in a country where it's free. Right now, you're in your homes looking at a Bible, I hope. Um, And when this is over, you could read it this afternoon or the next day. We have no excuse. As men and women of God, we're called to obey God's word. Not obey what we think. Otherwise, we begin to craft and create our God. That's molding and making God into our image, as opposed to understanding who He is. Let Him reveal Himself to us and obeying Him. This This guy's held accountable for it. A lion comes out and kills him for not obeying God's word. That seems awfully harsh for not punching a guy in the face. And yet, here's the story for us to learn from. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. There's going to be a lot of people that don't understand. Imagine what this would have looked like to somebody watching. Hey, punch me in the face. And he pops him. Bam! What in the world? misunderstanding, accusations, he told me to, liar, all the things that could go along with this. And yet both of the guys involved know this is exactly what God wanted to happen. We need to obey God regardless of what it's going to look like to everybody around us. Regardless, when we made this decision to do this, of course, not everybody was happy about it. Nothing we can do about that. Can't. I've got to do what God's leading us to do. We pray about this. I spoke to the board. The board prayed about it. They gave me their answer, and I agreed, finally. I was the reluctant one in the group, you know. But that's because I was in the flesh, because I was sitting there, I don't know, I, I want to tough it out. I want to do this, you know, ice storm or snow or, you know, I'm like a mailman. It's going to be delivered. Well, it's being delivered. And my wise counsel, our board, knew that that would be the case, that God would be fine with this. And they gave me excellent counsel. And I finally got on board. But to the crowd who doesn't know everything that was talked about or the prayer that was involved in it, there's always some that are like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Eh, you're just going to have to trust us, I guess. You have to deal with it. Likewise, in this situation, his neighbor, the other prophet, should have obeyed regardless. It wasn't about his feelings or what he wanted to do. It's what God has asked him to do. Stranger quest, but should have done it. So he found another man. <laughs> and he said, strike me, please. So the man struck him and inflicted a wound. No hesitation on this guy. I like him. I li- <laughs> I see that playing out in my head. Hey, would you put, Bam! You Don't have to ask me twice, you know. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with the bandage over his eye. So he's got a shiner now. It's all swollen. Now, as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle. And there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. So this prophet, who's been now punched in the face and has a shiner, has disguised himself and is telling King Ahab, A story. Hey, I was in your battle and I was given a prisoner and I wasn't supposed to lose him, but I got busy doing this and that and I lost him. I know I'm in trouble. Please help me. What would you do? They say they're going to kill me. Does that remind you of anybody? Do you remember when David sinned with Bathsheba and the prophet comes in, Nathan, and he shares an interesting little story with David? It's the same thing. Same thing. Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. The king says, You're going to die. You shouldn't have lost that prisoner. You shouldn't have let him go. Doesn't matter what you were thinking, whether you were busy with this or that. Those are just excuses. You were given a job to do, you were supposed to take care of that prisoner. I don't think he ever figures it out. He should have, as the words are coming out of his mouth, there should have been enough conviction to say, Oh, Benadad, I let Benadad go. That was my prisoner. I'm the guy, you know, I'm the one. But he doesn't. And so the prophet hastens to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. That tells me something. We're going to close here in about five minutes, but that tells me something. That means that Ahab was purposefully avoiding all the prophets. He was purposely avoiding seeing anybody that represented God to the point where these prophets had to disguise themselves to tell him the truth. You're one of the prophets. I didn't expect to run into you that day. That happens a lot as a Christian. If you know, and you know, you'll walk down the aisle and see somebody and you'll see him look at you and say, Oh, I didn't think I was going to see you today. Why? What are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? You know, how does my presence as just another fellow servant of God cause you to feel convicted, you know, but that's how it is. As people of God filled with the spirit, whether you like it or not, you might even know you're doing it. You might just be walking down the chip aisle at Walmart and someone see you and say, oh, I haven't seen that person in three months. Cause I haven't been to church. I'm so convicted. I should have been going to church this whole time. And you're just sitting there picking out Dorito flavors, you know? So here's this prophet having to hide himself Disguise himself, shows himself, and this king recognizes who he is. So he says to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. Now remember, I told you about David and Nathan? That's not how that went, is it? You see the difference? When I told you things were going to change in verse 31, do you see the difference here? Ahab was given the same story, different words, different style, but the same, it's the same as what David went through with Nathan. And yet at the end of the story, Ahab doesn't get the mercy. Ahab doesn't get the forgiveness. Ahab doesn't get the, and there's a reason for that. Ahab gets the judgment. David got mercy. David's the one who who was told by the Lord, you're not going to die, But and he goes on to describe what his punishment would be. Two different situations. Now you would think God would be consistent. How come? Why isn't this happening? I don't know. Except maybe for this last sentence here. So the king of Israel went to his house, sullen and displeased, and came to Samaria. There's a missing word there. Repentance. He was sullen. man. He was displeased. That would have been a really great deal. I hate to die for it, but there's no repentance. That's the difference between David and this Ahab. David repented. David knew. David, as soon as Nathan said, you're the man, David, you're the man. David knew his sin. He understood it. He was broken by the Lord. He writes Psalms about it. He's so broken by the Lord. God, you want a broken and contrite heart. I know that you're not pleased with sacrifices. What you want for me is repentance. And he tells the world in this beautiful song that he writes that's true repentance. A lot of the world, when they come in contact with the true and living God, are just sown and displeased. But there's no repentance. Have you repented? You know what repentance means? It means to turn from your sin. It means, there's my sin, I'm confronted by it, I'm convicted by it, I understand it's not pleasing to God, and it needs to be removed from my life, and I turn my back to it. I turn my face to God, and I turn my back to sin. That's repentance. Repentance isn't managing your sin. Repentance isn't staying in sin and doing it less. Repentance is completely turning from your sin and facing God. Have you done that? Are you facing God every single day? Have you given your life to him? Is he your Lord and Savior? Do you understand your sins have separated you from God eternally? God is perfect, holy, and just, and he doesn't have anything unperfect, unholy, or unjust in his presence. And so my punishment is to be separated from Him for forever. Punishment. It's got to be there. Otherwise, he's not a just God. Knowing that, finding myself in that place of being lost, separated from God because of my choices, because of my sins, because of my rebellion against the true and living God, he then comes to me and says, there is a solution though. Repentance. Turn away from that sin. Turn towards me. I sent my son Jesus to take the penalty, the punishment that was intended for you, and I put it upon him at the cross for all your sins. And my one response should be, I believe. I trust in Jesus for my salvation. I believe that I'm going to heaven because Christ died on the cross for my sins. That God loved me so much, He wasn't willing to let me go. Knowing that I couldn't claw my way back to heaven, knowing that the sentence had been given to me and must be followed through, He sent His Son to die on the cross instead of me. And now I believe on Him and I trust in Him for salvation. And all my sins have been forgiven past, present, and future sins. All of them have been paid for at the cross. Have you done that this morning? Have you repented? Encourage you this morning in your living rooms or wherever you're watching, in your cars, on your phone, whatever, turn from God or turn towards God. Turn from your sin. Walk towards him. Let God's peace fill you to overflowing, which surpasses understanding, because right now we shouldn't have peace in the middle of this, but you can knowing that God's on the throne of your heart, knowing that you've surrendered your life to him, knowing that your eternity is secure. Whether I live or whether I die from COVID makes no difference now. I know that when I die, and we're all going to die eventually, whether it's from COVID or something else, then I get to spend forever with God. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe my sins have separated me from you and I repent from them today. I turn from them today. I turn towards you. I receive your son, Jesus Christ, as not only my savior, but also now Lord of my life. Would you be the king? I want to surrender every area of my life over to you. I trust in you for my salvation. I trust in you for my choices in my life. I want to pray. I want to be led of the Spirit. I want you to lead and guide me every step of the way through the rest of my life, putting the past behind me, leaving it in the rearview mirror, keeping my back to it. And I want to face you and follow you and see you every single day of my life. I want to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, who's the teacher, the helper, the one you sent to lead and guide me. I trust. I believe. I believe and I wait. Help me to understand your word when I read it. I pray it wouldn't be confusing. It wouldn't be mysterious to me. I pray that you'd reveal yourself to me. I want to know at the beginning of this relationship, just starting with you, I want to know everything about you. What do you like? What don't you like? What are things that need to go from my life that I didn't realize were sin even? What are things I need to add to my life that are pleasing to you and would make you happy? Lord, I don't want a religion. Lord, I don't want to a contract with you. I don't want a legal relationship with you. I want a marriage. This morning, I say I do. This morning, I accept you as my spouse. This morning, I want you to be my all in all. And I want to serve you completely and and wholly, Lord. I pray there would be no other gods in my presence, no other little G's in my life that'll creep in and separate my love from you. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the technology. Thank you for the wisdom that you've given us. More importantly, thank you for your spirit who can bypass all of this and get right into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you bless these folks. Take care of them. Watch out for them. Provide for them. Comfort them. And be with them throughout this whole ordeal. Until we see you again next week, Lord. these people join together next week together to worship you, Lord. Um, Would you just keep us in that unity of the Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.